Hello listeners, welcome to Switch It, the podcast that knows plenty about being caught driving without having properly thought it through. Summer is practically upon us, we're just about beyond the boring middle overs of lockdown, and there's even talk of cricket being played at some stage, which will presumably be greeted by the first rain in months. But oh, what we'd give for a rain delay right now. As for England's schedule, it's more about goings than comings. Some of the bowlers went back to training last week, with batsmen to follow, and the hope is that West Indies and Pakistan will soon arrive for rearranged tours. To discuss how the season is shaping up, I'm joined today by two men whose only whereabouts issues pertain to the off-stump. ESPN Quick Info's senior correspondent, George Sabell, who knows a bit about dealing with a baying mob, and our own Westminster wonk, assistant editor, Matt Roller. Hello, George. Uh, First of all, uh, anything you'd like to fess up to? (laughs) Um, I've, no, what, in terms of COVID? What, um, I, I've donated yeah, my... We can arrange a press conference in the Rose Garden, I'm sure. I've donated my plasma, if I'm honest. I didn't know what it entailed when I volunteered to donate it. I thought it was like giving blood. But they want it all, don't they? They want all your blood when they, when they take plasma. If I'd known... Anyway, I'm going to console myself with the thought that the clap at eight o'clock is all for me. <laughs> yes, vital, vital work. Um, hope all's well with you, Matt, as well. Uh, not wishing you'd gone into politics rather than the cut and thrust of cricket journalism. No, there was, uh, yeah, re your, uh, your job about not knowing where my off stump is. I think that was very fair. I had my uh, first socially distanced outdoor net of the season on, on a day off this week, and uh, that's, that's, that's a very accurate um, description as to how things went. Very good. Have you got a, um, a significant other sending down the, uh, the the deliveries? No, I went down to my mates. I think it was just about within uh, within guidelines. Um, but yeah, we were <laughs> maybe slightly less strict than England, sort of temperature check and upload to an app before we went. But fingers crossed, that uh, just about managed. Have you heard the theory that um, heavy looks like a young Eddie Redmayne? <laughs> I, I have heard it from, from you, George. In fact, well, it wasn't my. I mean, I, 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 I you were the messenger. Yes, I think it came from the the head of ECB comms, actually, mm. Kate Miller, who thought, um, yeah, which which makes you wonder about her eyesight and whether she should go on a long motorway trip to test those eyes. <laughs> that's that's fairly complimentary, Matt. I mean, I'm sure. I presume you've heard worse than uh, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, I have the, the the most common one has been a uh, a young Michael Gove, so I'll uh, I'll definitely consider that an upgrade. <laughs> Michael Gove is a fetus. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say it's surely uh, it's surely overdue a mention of, um, of a fetus reference there, George. Um, Always, I'm just jealous. Yeah, I'm just jealous. It's a long time since anyone asked me for ID in a pub. Yeah, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and well, still looking very fresh after all these weeks in lockdown. Actually, they uh, ask you in so. New York, don't they? They always ask you in New York, don't they? Uh, well, was that LA? I can't uh, remember. I'd, I'd, I'd take, take your word for it. Um, uh, they, they certainly ask the people that um, that look like they need it. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> let's start with with uh, the plans being put in place for behind uh, closed door England matches. Uh, the tentative start date for the first test of the summer is July 8th with West Indies involvement just awaiting a final rubber stamping from the board. Uh, They're expected to play back-to-back-to-back tests before limited overs fixtures against Ireland and then further tests and white ball games against Pakistan. Um, But George, is there still an element of fingers crossed to all this? Uh, Probably, yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's probably fair. I think you, everyone accepts that we're sort of all uh, subject to events beyond our control at the moment, and if there were a second spike or, if God forbid, a player became ill, then I suppose all bets are off. Yeah. Uh, but it does feel as if they've made quite a lot of progress in the last couple of weeks. I'm quietly uh, confident, actually pretty confident that international cricket will take place and quietly confident about domestic and recreational. So it's going in the right direction. But, yeah, you'd be a fool if you had a lot of certainty about things right now. Uh, indeed. I mean, we've seen uh, players such as uh, Stuart Board, Chris Wokes, talking about the stringent biosecurity routines involved this is just in terms of going back to individualised training um, Matt you might say it's all very much one man and his doc right now <laughs> yeah something like that we've, uh, we've been handed more footage than we could ever wish for of uh, Chris Wokes' daily routine including regular hand washing um, but yeah it seems like um, people are getting back starting to starting to build up um, with that start date in mind I think um We'll probably get on to talking a bit about the, the uh, how how difficult that s- schedule is probably going to be when we get down to it um, this summer and the sort of the need to rotate fast bowlers. Um, but yeah, it, it it seems like things are progressing well so far, and I think the uh, the ECB have ha- has to take a call at some point on when they move to stage two, which is um, something that looks a little bit more like cricket training than what's going on at the moment. One of the many um, minor considerations, uh, Stuart Board talked about kind of wearing a sweatband in order to stop uh, sweat running down his face and, and his habit of touching his face. The ICC have kind of decreed that um, saliva can't be used on the ball. Um, sweat is OK, actually, but, you know, it's all about kind of learning these new habits. And, and the game will look kind of quite different for various reasons, uh, George, should they should they get back on the pitch. Um, well, the game always changes. I'm not sure it'll be so different. I mean, uh, with a Duke's ball, I think as long as they can use sweat, that should be just about okay. Um, it wouldn't do Alistair Cook's bowling career a lot of good, would it? But I think it had more substantial <laughs> problems than that anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that anything else will be drastically changed. I, I know that people are slightly worried about the the lack of noise from crowds and stuff. But we've done loads of games, haven't we? We've seen loads of games where there haven't been any crowds, you know, particularly in the UAE. But actually, there were a couple of days in New Zealand where there really weren't very many people there. And uh, I think that the natural competitiveness of those guys will take over and actually the cricket, once it starts, will feel OK. I, 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 don't, I don't think that we'll particularly notice that stuff. I'm sure that there'll be occasions when the bowlers lick their fingers. I mean, you know, how many deliveries has Jimmy Anderson bowled in his career? It's just ingrained, isn't it? And I think we've got to cut them some slack. I hope that they're not immediately penalised, you know. Uh, so they've got to find ways around these things. But they're details. And uh, and I think it's great that everyone's got the attitude that let's be a bit flexible, let's find a way. But I do hope that they stick to being able to use sweat uh, because uh, take that out of the game you might start to take a bit of swing out of the game and then I think it, it probably does change fundamentally. But I, I think at the moment that's the way it's going, isn't it? They will be able to use sweat. 
Yes, that's certainly what the ICC has said, uh, and I think Wokes is talking about that. That's kind of should be enough with a, a Duke's ball uh, in hand. The, the government has been working on guidelines to set out these guidelines for sort of return to elite sport. Um, Matt, the next stage is is stage two you, you referred to, and that's when players will be um, allowed to begin training in small clusters. Yeah, I think most of those guidelines, to be honest, are more um, relevant for other sports where you have issues like tackling, which don't really exist um, in cricket. But it, it, it will allow stuff like, um, you know, a bowler to bowl at a batsman, um, which we're, we're currently not seeing. We're just seeing a bowler bowl at a set of stumps. Um, and they'll you can you could have small clusters. So you could probably have some sort of slip catching practice, something like that. Um, but yeah, I think we're a, a week or so probably away at least from that is the impression I get. Um, I think the, the batsmen are provisionally in next week, George. Is that right? Um, uh, yes, I think so. Um, I'm not sure it's even as early. Yeah, no, you're right. Sorry, next week. Yes, yes, yeah, June. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's sort of all starting to come into place, but, um, obviously there are a lot of, uh, a lot of ways that could fall down at any point. Um, the ICC has sort of put out its own version of these um, guidelines about getting back into playing. And I mean, w- one thing in particular that everyone is uh, very well aware of, much discussed, um, is playing, returning to, to playing high-level sport after such a long layoff. Um, I mean, July the 8th, uh, the planned first test starting at, at the Aegeus Bowl, I think, but that's only six weeks away and, and you know, the bowlers have perhaps been in action for a few days now, um, but that doesn't give anyone a great deal of time to get match fit. Uh, George, I think the ICC have recommended between 8 and 12 weeks, ideally. Yeah, it's, I, I was surprised by that. Look, I, I mean, those guys, the people recommending those things, I, I, I guess they're experts, aren't they? So uh, I, I wouldn't be able to have a sensible conversation with them about the importance of bone density, uh, which I, I saw that statement went into at some depth. But it's, I don't think those England bowlers or the West Indies bowlers, no doubt, I don't think they let themselves go, you know what I mean? I don't think they've just been uh, uh, sitting on the sofa, swilling beer and eating kebabs. So I, I would think that, uh, you know, they've kept their, their fitness levels up and... Uh, uh, the ICC's statement was probably abundantly cautious. I mean, a lot of these things, not having to go at the ICC for this, but a lot of these things are, are mainly uh, back-covering rather than really practical methods. So I, I think it, it, the ECB seem pretty confident with what their own medical advisors have suggested. And you would think it would be OK. I mean, bowlers do get injured. Um, it's not ideal, this situation, but I would have thought that the break will have done most of them a lot more good than harm, both uh, mentally and physically. So, uh, you know, we can find the negatives there, but I think we all know we're in a really difficult situation and let's find a way to play cricket, eh? Um, Matt, you had a a chat with uh, Surrey's physio the other day about uh, building up loads and uh, resistance training and all this sorts of thing. Uh, uh, Tell us about what you learned. Yeah, well, quite a lot. I put my... uh, my biology GCSE to the test that's for sure but um yeah I think the uh the, the main thing that I took away from it was basically that in terms of the uh the sort of the muscular side things should largely be fine because you can replicate um the 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 uh, muscles that you use in bowling with certain other exercises so stuff like medicine ball slams um which I think people are able to do at home um and the one thing that's probably a, a slightly larger concern is um as George sort of alluded to, bone density of the spine, 
um, which is something that um, supposedly erodes very quickly after uh, you stop bowling. So it, that will be the, the hardest thing to, to build back up um, during this relatively condensed sort of pre-season, I guess. Um, but equally, I think, um, you know, the, what we seem to be hearing with enlarged squads and the fact that the tests are back to back to back um, is that it's probably very unlikely that any seamer is going to play in all three of those tests in a row. Um, I think that's just too too physically difficult. Um, so I think England will probably try and use that as a chance to uh, rotate a little bit, um, maybe give opportunities to people like Saki Mahmood, Ollie Stone with half an eye on the uh, on the away Ashes series, um, and you know hopefully take something out of a difficult situation. Um, in terms of uh, biosecure bubbles, um, it seems that the the PCB has also agreed in principle uh, to to Pakistan touring. Um, although that could see the players spending uh, as long as three months in in these kind of uh, in biosecure conditions. Um, that's quite an undertaking. Uh, but Wazim Khan, uh, George, seems very keen to work with the ECB on this. Yes. Um, I mean, I think it's probably what old-fashioned tours were like, a little bit more. Um, but also, society's changing quite quickly, isn't it? I mean, there's talk that um, the lockdown will be eased further. I mean, I, I heard this morning that there was talk of beer gardens being opened in a few weeks. I'm not suggesting that would be uh, of interest to the Pakistan lads, but it would... <laughs> suggest that uh, the country is opening up again a bit more and maybe they will be able to um, uh, get out a bit more than seemed the case a month ago. I think the Pakistan team are, are staying at the Hyatt, aren't they, in Birmingham? So they're, they're in the middle of the city. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it would be very difficult uh, to, to spend three months on tour without families and stuff. But it is sort of the way things used to be. And we are in uh, a really difficult situation. So, I, I, I mean, I applaud them and I applaud the West Indies for, for making this tour. Uh, you know, you have to say that um, England may be getting, reaping what they sowed a wee bit there because they did go to Bangladesh at a time that other people weren't particularly keen. So I think it's really good, again, that teams are seeing the bigger picture and, and trying to get the game on and, um, you know, hopefully they'll all be rewarded for the sacrifices they're making for it. I mean, safety is absolutely paramount, of course it is, but um, unless you play and unless the broadcast deals are satisfied to some extent, you know, it's very hard to keep the wheels moving and then everyone's struggling for work and, you know, that has knock-on effects. So uh, th there are lots of big pictures here and I think everyone's been flexible and trying to find the best way through it and good for them for doing it. I mean, in terms of that bigger picture, Matt, England uh, are scheduled to play Pakistan away from home should we say uh, in a, a couple of years I think 22-23 so um, in, in encouraging England to tour uh, Pakistan again for what would be the first time since I think 2006 I mean uh, a bit of cooperation at this time uh, might go a long way there yeah I, I saw um, Wasim Khan sort of deny that they were looking to use this tour for leverage and I, I, I do do believe him but equally you know it will I'm sure it'll come into considerations just a, a, you know it, it, it helps further that relationship doesn't it um, I think th there is a slight um, question as to what the actual incentives are for touring teams um, aside from uh, getting you know 
the, the the bigger picture and getting cricket back for fans. Um, I think Jason Hold has spoken about the, the West Indies players want to to have the opportunity to earn again, which is um, again perfectly reasonable. But um, in terms of revenue for the boards, there's not an awful lot in it. Um, so from from the PCB's perspective, there has to be some reason why they're going to subject those players to quite a long time away from home, and I'm sure that is is something that they've they've thought about. Um, as for whether or not that materialises, we don't know. It's, um, I think we've we've mentioned in the past that there's, there was some hope that the Lions might tour Pakistan at some point in the next couple of winters as a sort of um, a, a further step on the on the road to uh, to England returning to Pakistan. But who knows whether that's going to be possible? I, I don't know whether um, that sort of long Lions tour and lots of um, overseas commitments in the winter for representative teams is going to be quite as commonplace in the next few years um, because you know the game is feeling the squeeze. Yes, I plenty think, of uncertainties. I think we'll Look. go to Pakistan, for it's worth. I think we'll go to Pakistan. I think people, some players, well, obviously players will be given the option, and some players might drop out, and that's absolutely fine. But I'm pretty confident we'll go, and we might just play in Lahore and Karachi. Might just play in Lahore, uh, but I think we'll go, and I think we would have gone before this. But anything that uh, you know where these boards work together uh, has got to be healthy. And I say I think Pakistan make a loss on the England tour. Uh, they have to pay the wages of their players. I mean, obviously their travel, co- uh, their hotel costs and stuff are covered by England. Uh, the West Indies is slightly more complicated because although they've got the same equation, they are their chief sponsor is Sandals, uh, and Sandals would be very keen for this tour to go ahead for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, obviously, Sandals have been struggling as much as anyone, no doubt, in, in recent months. And they will be hoping that there's a, a, a significant boost at the end of the year in terms of return of tourism. Of course, they will. Um, but I, I, I do think that everyone in cricket, unlike other sports, is a bit aware of their respons- wider responsibilities. And I think that's something that, um, yeah, cricket should be quite proud of, really. Well, indeed, fingers crossed uh, we will have those tours on over here. And I think everyone would like to see England go back to Pakistan in the future as well. Um, England expected to name an expanded uh, group, we touched upon um, sort of 45 players uh, who could be called upon during the summer. And, and with the likely separation between test and limited overs squads, given potential overlapping fixtures and things like that, not necessarily on the same days, but, you know, around around the same time, uh, we could see several new caps. Um, but recent talk has centred around the involvement, or rather the possible non-involvement of one player in particular, that, that's Alex Hales. Um, Owen Morgan said this week it might take some more time uh, before Hales could be successfully reintegrated. He was obviously dropped during the, the run into last summer's World Cup um, over a positive drug test. Uh, what's your view on all this, uh, George? Owen will get what Owen wants, I think. And uh, he's probably earned that. You know, he has been, has been that World Cup winning captain. He did rebuild England from a a dismal state. He, he he is the natural leader of that group, so he's uh, earned the right to make that decision. Personally, I'm sorry for Alex Hales. Uh, I think he's always sorry. I think he his sin has been fecklessness rather than anything more malevolent. And I would love to have seen him with a second chance because I think he's a really good player. And I do think time will will run out. Um, and uh, Alex's views in the last day or two seemed pretty uncompromising. They seemed to be, suggest he would 
have to wait uh, a little bit longer. I mean, I, I suppose he will have served more time out of international cricket than, say, Shane Warne. Uh, and Shane Warne's failure wasn't necessarily a recreational drug. Uh, it's not quite the same situation, of course. It's not actually a ban. It's like England saying that he's maybe not brilliant for uh, the team environment. Look, ultimately, I suppose he's only got himself to blame, hasn't he? Um, it, and they want to send a message to other players who might have been tempted to take their eye off the ball a little bit and, you know, enjoy the lifestyle and the trappings of the lifestyle a bit, a bit more than the uh, the cricket. So they said they're sending a very strong message again. I get that. Personally, I hoped he would be uh, called back into the the system because I don't see anything nasty in him. And I think he's probably one of England's best players, so on form he would get in. There we are. And certainly in that the T20 format, Matt, you've written about his his form over recent times and that perhaps this would be a, a good opportunity to get him back involved with back-to-back uh, T20 World Cups coming up if uh, the schedule holds. Yeah, it, it doesn't look like it's going to happen, does it? I think um, I think it's very difficult having seen what Owen Morgan said um, to, to picture how he plays, how Hales plays for England uh, with Morgan as captain again. Um, possibly in two years' time, who knows? Um, but I, it, it seems unlikely at the moment, especially given Morgan has said this is you know this has nothing to do with performance. Um, if it were a performance matter, he'd be in. Um, it's it's a much bigger problem. I think that one of the main issues I have with it um, is that a lot of it is centered on this sort of the notion of trust, um, which I think is undermined a little bit um, by, uh, you know, one of the, this, this is quite a sort of technical story. So I'm sure not that many people would have noticed it, but the ECB changed their uh, recreational drugs policy at this ahead of this season um, to get rid of the uh, unexplained 21-day ban uh, for the second offence, uh, which sort of laid the trail for that Hale story to come out. I don't think um, that that story would probably have broken, uh, but for uh, that unexplained ban, I'm not sure George is looking at me a bit. Well, um, well, we, well I can tell you uh, <laughs> that, that we had that story, as Alan would probably remember. That might have been before you joined us, Evie. Um And for various reasons... Actually, I think we had just decided to run it when Ali Martin of The Guardian did run it. Yeah, yeah I think we were which sort is, of putting is, the final touches on it, yeah. And, and um, it came from a different source to him, yeah. Um, and it sort of came out by accident. I got told by somebody by accident, basically. So, um, uh, so I, I think it would have come out anyway, but, but you're, there was another... Uh, there were a lot of questions asked about another player uh, because if you have a hamstring injury and you're out for about three or four weeks, um, it started to lead people to ask questions that were possibly unfair. So you, you can see that. Yeah, but I, I think basically the, um, I, from my point of view, um, the, 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 uh, the removal of that unexplained ban from the policy and the fact that they had to change the policy um, sort of shone a light on the fact that, um, you know, it, Hales was only dropped because that story was made public by the press. If um, everything had been watertight in in the procedure in the first place, um, you know, Owen Morgan would never have found out um, about the fact that Hales had had failed a test for the second time. 
uh, and that's and presumably therefore he would have had his trust in a way that he he no longer does. Um, so I think there's a obviously that's a counterfactual, um, but I think that there's there's a decent case um, at least to suggest that uh the the changes in the policy show that Hales was probably quite unfortunate um i think maybe um Hales could have come out with a, a more sort of a public mayor culpa very quickly um at some point maybe you know the start of the winter held his hands up said he was absolutely desperate to play for england again all that sort of thing which maybe hasn't happened he's get he gave an interview to the mail on sunday a couple of weeks ago um without quite doing the whole, um, you know, KP style, uh, self-flagellation. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a shame that Hales will never get, will probably never get a chance, uh, at least while he's at, at his peak, cause he's now 31. Um, by the time Morgan stops being captain, he'll probably be at least 33. Um, I, I don't, yeah. well, I'll wait there. Are we saying that Morgan will never pick him? Cause I wouldn't be surprised if he decided at the end of the year, if he were eligible again. And the other thing I would say, is that Owen does sometimes likes to sell us a dummy. And it wouldn't completely surprise me if having led us to think one thing on Wednesday, we were told something quite different on Friday, not for any other reason than his own amusement. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. He is very much his own man. Um, you, you would think, taking everything at face value, that he's not going to pick him in the short term. But I don't know about never under his captaincy. I really don't. Um, yeah, I, I'm not positive we've seen the end of Alex Hales. But the fact is, he's 10 years older than Tom Banton or, you know, various other people. And, um, you know, you, you never want to be in the situation where you're trying to compete with someone 10 years younger, or in my case, with Heavy, about 30 years younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, hopefully there is still scope for a, a KP-style reintegration uh, reintegration press conference um matt, matt is there with this uncertainty around the t20 world cup certainly for 2020 uh, increasing noises that that might be pushed back uh either by a year and then knocking the india tournament further or even going sort of two years down the line to australia um does that change England's thinking a little bit I mean this summer is obviously going to be um, unusual anyway in terms of um, it, the, the priority is just to get some cricket on um, perhaps rather than um, have your best team or, or, or sort of plan for a, a global tournament but if that global tournament does get shifted then um, arguably priorities uh, uh, shift even further yeah, well, I, I suppose the first point to make is I think that the ECB have stressed that um, any any sort of group that they name is not an official squad. I'm sure some people will um, be disappointed to be left out, um, but I, I think it's yeah, it's um, we probably can't take too much in terms of where the priorities lie just based from the, the list of names. Um, the impression I get is that um, it's it's highly likely that people who are who would be um, first choice in both squads are going to um, probably play test cricket. Um, so someone like Ben Stokes, I'd be very surprised if he's uh, ends up in a, in a separate white ball squad. Um, probably the same with Joffrey Archer, Mark Wood. Um, but I think that's probably reasonable without, a, the, well, in the likelihood that there's no T20 World Cup in October, November, I think that's probably fair. Um, you look at the games that are actually sort of most likely to be played this year, I think the, the three ODIs against Ireland would be a pretty good opportunity to try out some of the newer names that um, 
the selectors want to see people like Banton and maybe Phil Salt. Um, then uh, further down the line, the T20s against Pakistan and the, the sort of possible Australia series, which probably seems like the least likely thing to happen. Um, it, it would probably be a little bit strange if uh, the selectors were to uh, take anyone out of the, the test, test squad who would be in there otherwise um, to prioritise those without um, a, a T20 World Cup looming. Um, the the other thing that the uh, the ECB is um, sort of juggling from an England perspective is the is the women's game. Um, George, the the women haven't gone back to training, but are expected to next month, I think. And there is still some optimism of of playing perhaps a tri series with South Africa and, and India later in the summer. Yeah, I think they're going to go back to training. They'll be called back to training the same time as the men's white ball players. So I think that's mid June, isn't it? Um, and yes, they, they, they look. They're trying to play. I'm not quite sure where those games will be. Uh, maybe Durham. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> a popular place to go at the moment. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying. I mean, they're, they're trying. They've got to get persuade people to tour, and they've got to prove it safe to them. But I, as I say, I think there is a willingness. Uh, and if it does all happen from July the eighth until the end of September or whatever it is. I was trying to work out how many days of international cricket it would be. Something like getting on for 50, isn't it? If all the tests go full distance, which I'm sure they wouldn't. Um, yeah, uh, 50 days of cricket um, on TV. So uh, hopefully that would... I mean, I don't know whether that would uh, appease the broadcasters or not. It's a lot of cricket all in one go, isn't it? It's not ideal. It would certainly be salvaging something. Um uh, now, um, COVID-19 has thrown much of our expectations out the window, uh, but you can't get through an English season without someone coming up with a new blueprint for the county game. Uh, on this occasion, though, it's fairly imperative if there's going to be any sort of meaningful competition. Uh, George, uh, you've just broken a story on this. What's the what's the current thinking there? Well, I think there's a bit of a divide between what you might think is old-school ECB and the professional game group. But the professional game group are particularly keen to to get cracking if they can, you know, obviously with that, that caveat of within government guidelines. And they have come up with, I think, quite novel, uh, intelligent use of the time and resources available at this stage and suggested a, um, a regional championship or first-class competition uh, which would give us all some sort of first-class cricket and a blast season. Uh, I mean, the details are in the piece. Everyone can read that. There are quite a lot of details missing. Uh, might partly be because I don't know them and partly, I think, because they haven't decided on them. I really don't think that they've, you know, got all the answers at this stage. But they are looking and they, they talked about it today. Uh, but I, I, I think there are a lot of obstacles to, to, to surpass and uh, it would be um, premature to suggest it's about to happen but but they are quite intriguing plans um, I was really encouraged by them I feel much more optimistic uh, today than I did a couple of days ago about domestic cricket in particular and there does seem to be a willingness look there's this view isn't there out there that um, uh, that it will be very difficult for clubs to start playing again because they're on furlough and the money they will get from tickets 
if, if anything, you know, they might be behind closed doors, would be so limited that it wouldn't justify coming off furlough. I think that's a mistake to think like that. I think that's the, the, the logic of a benefit cheat, that if you're thinking... Well, no, I mean, I really do. If, if you're thinking it's better for us to be paid not to play, you've really got to take a look at what you're doing. And if there are any administrators... Yeah. Certainly not the point of professional sport. <laughs> well, if there are administrators at county clubs thinking that, I would really urge them to think about their career options because, you know, it is a professional game and we do have to get on with it at some stage. And there's a bigger picture as well, which is that if you play championship cricket, you're helping produce test players. Uh, so I think uh, uh, in every way uh, it would be a good thing to happen. But obviously we're all reliant on what the government decide and whether there's a second spike in cases and all these things. We all know that. But, uh, yeah, it, it, they're, they're really interesting proposals. I don't know, what did you think? Yeah, well, was, um, certainly whether it's called the Ch- County Championship or, or not. I mean, uh, it's given there was a, the fears about no uh, county action at all this summer. I mean, Matt, this is, uh, this is promising. Yeah, definitely. I, I actually I quite like the look of the format of the Championship. I mean, it, if it's... Um, I think that... The, idea is that each team would play five games um and the best two would get through to a final it's um i'm sure if it if it does go ahead then it'll prompt a, a further discussion down the line about um whether or not three groups of six where everyone plays everyone home and away is perhaps a better format maybe it encourages slightly it, it you know it, who knows what's actually going to happen but you could probably make an argument that it would encourage slightly more um, attacking decisions, maybe teams would be more liable, say, to play a leg spinner if they had a uh, an outside chance of getting through to a to a knockout game at the end of the season in the championship, rather than sort of um, battling to stay up, where you might take a more defensive uh, move like that. But yeah, look, it's um, it, that's all quite hypothetical at this point. Um, I think, yeah, um, the, the one of the interesting developments I think has been that a few teams now have been talking about the possibility of having fans in. Um, which again is perhaps wildly optimistic, but um, I think uh, Northants, Surrey, and Lancashire have all now mentioned it. It's sort of roughly one third or one quarter capacity. Um, there's an NFL team, Miami Dolphins, who um, are sort of forming the blueprint of this. I think um, where you have certain protocols, um, so you have t- sort of one row from one block, leaving at a time and. Everyone brings their own food, all that sort of thing. So it would probably be a very different spectator experience. But equally, I'm sure there would be a lot of um, members, especially who are desperately keen to see some kind of live cricket this year. And if the fact that that's even being talked about as a possibility feels like a, a real improvement um, from where we were maybe a month ago. NFL and, and county cricket seem natural bedfellows. I mean, George, you were, I think, on a call with Richard Gould the other day, and he was. Um, he was positive about the kind of the, the state of um, the game and, and the ability of counties to kind of weather this situation. Well, he, he, he made the interesting distinction between members' clubs and clubs who, which were owned by private investors or franchises or whatever. Uh, and the interesting thing there is, of course, there has been this debate since this, what I thought was a terribly self-interested report, suggesting that there should be private capital invested into the hundred in particular uh, from people who, guess what they do for a living? They arrange private capital to be invested into sporting events. So uh, there are obvious positives of that. You know, there would be an influx of money, potentially. And, you know, who doesn't like an influx of money? But in the long term, 
you start to have shareholders and all these things. Look, everyone knows these arguments. Um, the point that Richard Gould was making, that is Surrey, and he was also chief executive of Somerset, so he's done big club, small club, are pretty well placed to get through the storm because they didn't take all the money from the good years and give it in dividends to shareholders. They invested it back in their staff, they invested it back in their facilities. And that's what well-run county clubs with members should do. It's about the betterment of the game, not the betterment of individuals. And it'll be interesting to see, to compare maybe at the end of this, how the members' clubs have fared compared to those two or three clubs which have gone the other way and have private ownership. But um, uh, I thought it was a very interesting point. I thought he made two or three um, really good economic points. I hope that Michael Vaughan has read that article because I think he would learn quite a lot. I find it remarkable that someone who's been in the game as long as him doesn't think that championship cricket, well, he, he said that championship cricket runs at a loss. To not understand that championship cricket creates the test side seems to me pretty basic. It's like saying that education makes a loss, you know? Uh, it's really failing to see the, the point of, uh, the point of things in the bigger picture. So uh, I thought Richard Gould made some, some pertinent points and the context of him saying it was really, really interesting. Um, it, it, it's not all about businesses. It's not all about the profit. It's not all about the bottom line. Um, and, and Matt, it's, I mean, it's uh, been interesting uh, to sort of contrast, I suppose, um, with other sports. But while kind of um, you know, the Bundesliga has returned in Germany, the Premier League is hoping to come back next month. The, the ECB have, um, perhaps by necessity, but they've been able to, to uh, take this kind of fairly slowly step by step um and given the difficulties they've faced it's been they've done a they've done a pretty commendable job so far yeah i think so i i think you're uh you're hard hard pushed to find many people at least who i've spoken to within the game who have who have been in any way critical of how the ecb have dealt with this compared to um you know what you're hearing from project restart and various uh sort of quite outspoken uh premier league players saying that people's intentions are all in the wrong place. I think that the uh, the general feeling seems to be that the, the ECB have the, the, the right end of the stick and that they're, they're trying their hardest to get um, cricket on where they can. Um, but I think everyone involved has highlighted that player safety has to come first. Um, and I think, you know, if, if anything does happen in the next few weeks and there is another spike in cases, then we, we will be pushed further back. And that's, you know, the, the right thing as I see it. Um, yeah, um, perhaps the the, the last uh, sort of uh, piece of the jigsaw is, is recreational cricket, um, George. There have been some steps there, the kind of uh, the ability to go and have a uh, net and so on, as Matt mentioned. Um, but that probably is the, the least likely to, to kind of um, uh, for, for there to be much in the way of, of competition at that level of the game this summer. Uh, would you think? I think if. <laughs> probably but I'm not sure that that's right so kids are going back to school yeah and when they go back to school are they doing PE lessons socially distantly presumably <laughs> I, I think star jumps in the in the in the playground I, I'm not sure about the recreational cricket thing right now I, I'll, I'll, I've been trying to talk to someone at the ECB about recreational cricket for over a month and it would be easier to, to speak to Elvis so it, I'm not completely convinced about their leadership there. I think they're in a desperately difficult position. 
So I don't, you know, I don't have easy solutions for them, but I do wonder if there's a bit of an opportunity for cricket to sort of own the end of summer. And and I, I do worry about the lost generation potentially. I mean, I think cricket's always fighting a bit of an uphill battle to to encourage more children to play and to stay involved. And if you lose a whole summer for someone at that age, I don't know, it would have killed me if I know I was 14, I tell you, it really would. Um, I, I, I would like to see them uh, think of ways, if it's at all possible, to play some sort of cricket, uh, whatever that might look like, so that... Um, we can at least retain the interest of that generation who might have been hooked from what happened last summer. It's very difficult, um, but as I say, I have been trying to talk to people and uh, it's been really difficult. It's much easier to talk to um, the coaches and captains and players at test and international level, to the top administrators, than it is to people involved in recreational cricket. Um, And I don't quite know why they've gone missing. Well, uh, a lot of uncertainty still, of course, a lot of contingencies, and we're optimistic uh, for good news. Uh, okay, I think we've we've covered enough ground for one day. You can only get so far on one tank of petrol, of course. Um, England will be crossing their fingers against any bubble trouble over the coming weeks, uh, and we'll be back with more updates soon. Until then, my thanks to Matt and George, uh, and to you all for tuning in to another episode of Switch. Please feel free to rate us on your preferred podcast provider and keep track of the latest news over on espncrickinfo.com.